Hey everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wild, TV host by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night, and a health and a life coach always. Come hang out as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep into how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing. There's definitely going to be some laughing. And hopefully, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life. To live your healthiest hot life. Um, Thank you for having me. I got to say, I've had a lot of mental health advocates on the show, but I've never had a comedian and mental health advocate. <laughs> like what a fun title that you get to like love and live and express and work in two completely different fields, but actually they're probably really interrelated as well. Yeah. I, when I recovered from depression, I felt like I wanted to share this, but I wanted to share it in a way that was very palatable, that was just like splashing in the shallow end of the pool, not triggering for anyone. And uh, my uh, the people who booked me for speaking were like, I don't know if anyone's gonna bite. Those two things seem pretty far away from each other, but um, I think it has made it easier for people to talk about things. And that's the whole point of me wanting to share this is just to let people know you're not alone. You're allowed to talk to people about it. You're allowed to feel this way. And I think wrapping it in comedy is just more welcoming. Oh, a hundred percent. I think it's okay. like when you want your kid to eat broccoli and you mix some cooked broccoli into the cake batter, and then they don't know they're getting the broccoli. <laughs> As someone who is six months pregnant right now, I'm looking at all those things and I'm like, how can I hack the shit out of this kid's life by shoving vegetables Absolutely. into dessert. So I think you're doing a great job by shoving vegetables into delicious brownies, by mixing awesome. you know, serious mental health conversations, but also wrapping it up in a beautiful comedy bow and making people feel like, shit, I'm not alone. Like maybe we can <laughs> talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's the whole point is everyone who goes through a depression feels like they're alone. You feel like you're this isolated sad pod who's alone in the world and uh to to just talk I think we need like daily reminders like everyone goes through this everyone goes through loneliness everyone goes through disappointment or imposter syndrome and um it's kind of funny I was talking with I have a woman who's helping me with social media because I still get a little like (laughs) you know how it is with social media it's it's a balancing act between like what do I really want to put into the world and what will people actually respond to? And so I was saying to her, I don't feel like I'm putting out new information. And she said, you don't have to put out new information. People just want to be reminded that we're in this together. And so then I felt super happy and comfortable. And I thought, oh, well, then I'd love to just share my little stories and see where it goes. Oh, yeah, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. There have been incredible professionals who have invented the wheel. (laughs) But by you sharing your own personal story, I think that's really where people can relate. I'm so curious for you, like, you know, the old saying, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? For you, which came first? Was it the comedy or was it your experience with depression? Like, how did those two things come to become one beautiful little baby? Yes. Okay, so I asked a 
Mike McDonald, who has since passed away, but he was just one of Canada's best comedians. And I asked him, you know, what's what's the deal with comedians and depression? And he said, comedians are already very introspective people. Like we, our talent is we look at the world, the world's problems and then filter it through the funny machine. So he said, we're already on the lookout for like, where are the cracks in this? And then you mix that with a career where you're like, I like for here's an example. I I opened for Oprah when she came to Toronto on her life class tour. So there's 9,000 screaming fans. It's the like the most exciting experience. And then um, a few weeks later, I'm not working at all and trying to book a commercial for a Jessica Holmes type. And guess what? They wouldn't see me. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like you're like, high low, high low kind of thing. Um, so those two together, I think just give you like the the motive and the um, material material. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, before we go further, I just must ask because opening for Oprah is <laughs> I mean, what a life honor. Did you get to meet the one and only Oprah? Like, did you get to breathe the same air at least? Okay, so here's what I will explain, and perhaps this will help anyone who doesn't really know what does depression feel like. So I had undiagnosed depression at the time that I was opening for Oprah. I wasn't really leaving the house for anything. I was taking a break from work and spending a lot of time on the sofa feeling sad. And I get this call saying, would you open for Oprah? And I was like, oh, that's neat. But neat, like the woman's been front and center on my vision board forever. And I treated it like it was a 30% off promo code for the gap, right? I was like, I, I can shower, I can do a thing. And so I show up that day. It took everything in me, but I friggin' did my job. I did my job. I got up there and it actually felt good and free and calm when I was up there. And then the show ended and I come off stage and she's standing there and I didn't walk over because I felt like I was such a bag of gargar. Like I had just worked for her all day. Of course I should go over. Of course I should say hi and thank you for inspiring me for 20 years and all this stuff. But I, I genuinely felt like I have zero place in this world. I have zero worth in this world like it just so that sad feeling mixed with that greatest professional opportunity of my life can perhaps help people see like oh dep wow depression really does you know if it's an oprah filter oh my gosh okay it's a real thing it's a real thing so i didn't meet her i didn't i didn't say hi i didn't say anything um and then only when i was later diagnosed with depression i was like oh that's why that's why the Oprah thing. Okay. Well, I hope that one day you get another opportunity and you get to <laughs> tell her, but I mean, still getting to share the same stage, share the same room, I think is so incredible. And like a big congratulations for even being like thrown in the mix there. But also thank you for sharing that story, because I think it also illuminates something else about depression that if, if you're listening to this and maybe you've never experienced it or someone you really, you're very close to has never experienced it, maybe you don't know. But I think sometimes when people think about depression, they think it's all or nothing. Like you can actually show up and do your life and do your work. But you are a prime example. You were in the depths of undiagnosed depression. You got an opportunity and you were still able to show up, do your job. It doesn't mean that the depression went away or that you were faking it, but you can still operate within the world and be struggling so like deeply with some 
something internally that not everyone can see. Um, and I think that's important to talk about too, because mental health is not, you know, a wound that we wear on our arm. We don't have a cast. There's no IV drip hanging around us. And it's this unseen thing that people go through and yet they still have to show up and, and do what they have to do, but yet they're struggling behind closed doors. That Chloe, I love that you brought that up. And I would say probably four out of five people who have depression still show up to work, still show up to parent, still do all of those things. Cause it's, it's only the most severe type of depression where you truly are like hospitalized, bedridden, cannot physically make yourself move. Um, and the, the trouble with showing up still to work and doing those things is you pay for it at some point, right? We can only put that mask on for so long. We can only suck it up for so long. So for me with the Oprah thing, I was three days on the sofa after it. Wow. I just couldn't, I had zero, I had nothing. And it was just pure tears from, from having to take every fiber of my being to go be, and it was a delight. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I was so happy to have been there, but, um, like healthy people are able to show up to work and not go home and cry for <laughs> three hours. So there's definitely a difference. And I love what you said, like depression can look like a lot of different things. There's low grade depression where people will just be grumpy and hopeless their whole life, but they will still function in all the areas. And then there's um, moderate depression where it, it does affect, start affecting your job a little bit. Like I, I ended up taking a six month hiatus from work because I thought I was having a creative dry spell. I didn't know, I didn't know that it was because I had like zero <laughs> hope or ambition or whatever. Um, Cause we make, we make excuses for ourselves in all of the health things, right? We postpone doctor's appointments. We think I'll figure, I definitely with the dentist, oh my gosh, I like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to ignore the fact that a tooth just fell out <laughs> or whatever. Like we, um, we do sometimes the devil, you know, is safer than the devil. You don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, the dentist is horrible. I know what they're going to, they're going to give me so much shade for not flossing enough. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah. know tell you I'm trying my best man um it's so interesting that you took six months off of work because you felt like you were having a creative dry spell which technically you were like you were having a creative oh dry yeah spell. I was in a that desert was a yeah. symptom <laughs> of the root cause which was the depression so when did you realize like oh maybe this is not just a creative dry spell like how did you go from I think I need to take a little break from work because the creative juices are right. going to realizing Maybe this is something a little bit different. Right. Okay. So there's two things that I would love to say. One is the way that I figured it out was my husband was like, you need to go see a therapist. This isn't normal. And I was like, I'm never going to a therapist. And he was like, okay, well, let me phrase this differently. Uh, I'm very unhappy in our marriage and I need for us to go see a marriage counselor. And I was like, never. And he's like, well, what if I found a marriage counselor who was like next to a Starbucks? And I was like, okay. So he lured me there that way. And it was in that first session that she diagnosed me with depression. And I was wow. like, oh. But the other thing I want to say before I forget is even though during my depression, I was really trying to maintain the status quo, I was trying to like, okay, I, I know I feel that I'm not advancing anywhere, but don't let me lose anything. Like I know that I'm not advancing my friendships. I know that I'm not advancing my job, but at least I'm not losing anything, right? I'm just status quo. But unfortunately it was after, only after I came out of the depression that 
so my my whole depression lasted about two years and after i came out of the depression i was like oh this is what i've lost and then like when i was healthy i could see two years of missed opportunities and i could see that friendships had moved on and so i was like oh guess what i'm not depressed anymore hi friends i'm ready to hang out again and they're like we have a new group um and so i had to like rebuild that and then with my job i was like um, hey, I'm ready to audition for things. And my agent was like, I've been telling people you're out of the business, like, or that you're on hiatus, like, you need to reprove yourself, you need to build yourself back up. And that part felt exhausting. But I will tell you, I am so friggin proud of all that I have had to do to build my life in a really healthy way. Like I'm I'm so proud it's and I'm sharing that because I want anyone who's going through something hard, who feels like I can't the deck is stacked against me there's too much here. My life is better today than it was even before I was depressed, because the life that I rebuilt I rebuilt it on my terms like I only have relationships that are healthy now I only have I only do work that is manageable for me and creatively fulfilling for me and it means compromise. It means lots of compromise. I, you know, you miss out on certain things to go for those, for the uh, higher goals without the low hanging fruit. But so I just wanted anyone who's having a hard time to know it's, it is work when you have mental health sensitivities and it is also doable. There is something waiting for you. That's, that's good. Also, can we just talk about mental health sensitivities? I've never heard that. And I would love to know why you're using that. Is that a term we should be inviting into our vocabulary? Okay, so I just made it up the other day when I was talking. I was I was recording a little video for social media, but I I said it because I don't have depression. I am not depressed. I haven't been depressed for years, but I am still sensitive in terms of mental health things trigger me more easily than they would trigger your average joe and so i have to be on the lookout for certain things and sometimes i'm like really jess this makes you sad like so i still see depression peeking around the corner Mm -hmm. i still feel my mental health sensitivities if i don't take care of myself and i think there's a lot of people in that boat you're not depressed uh but you're also not a fully resilient, strong powerhouse. And you're someone who has to take a little extra care, um, pay a little extra attention to how you're doing. So I thought it was like sort of a lovable way to describe myself instead of saying like, oh, I still have problems. Like that doesn't feel good to say that about oneself. And so mental health sensitivities, Chloe. I love that. We can make that a thing. I know you're part of the Bell Let's Talk family. Um, so I feel like you got you to gotta talk to the people of Bell and tell them we got to bring this vocabulary in. Like Mental health sensitivities. So okay. Great. Like, you know, for individuals who struggle with addiction, when they're no longer in the throes of addiction, they're then in recovery. It's something they have to be mindful of, but it's, you know, it's not something that determines their everyday life. And I feel like mental health sensitivity is the same thing. Like you're able to go out and live your life, but you're, you recognize that you are more prone to struggles in the mental health department than maybe the average person. And instead of like wearing that with the cloak of shame, you wear almost like with the badge of honor. You're like, I know myself, I have the self-awareness to be mindful of, you know, when for you example, depression knocks at the back door. Um, 
do you know when the like when depression is knocking at the back door like what are those signs and signals that you have to be mindful of because i think once you go through something really challenging it's so important to be able to step back reflect and be like okay how can i be more aware next time so that i don't hit rock bottom hopefully if that's possible yes okay so the the place that i'm at now and i love everything you're saying i'm like writing it down um <laughs> so thank you for generating great stuff with this podcast um where i'm at now with my mental health is i know when i see depression peeking around the corner what that means and what that feels like is oh boy like this whatever just happened hit like some life event or a job thing or a relationship thing I will say, ooh, that hit me harder than I'm comfortable with. That mm. hit me harder than I would like. And I feel sadder than I think the circumstances dictate. And I have come to a place where I now accept that I have these mental health sensitivities. And that acceptance means that I'm not scared of it anymore. Like I used to be terrified when I'd see depression peeking around the corner, cause I'd be like, <gasps> I can't handle it. And now I stop and go, you know what? I can't, I've handled it. I've handled it a couple times. I know what the things are that I have to do when depression peeks around the corner. And so when that sadness comes or when that feeling of, um, it shouldn't be this hard, or I, I don't look forward to tomorrow. If, if those feelings come along, I just stick with the things that worked for me the first time and they're going to be different for everyone. But for me, the things that work are being in nature, signing up for a class or like a dance class, the Beyonce dance class <laughs> at underground. Super dance random. Right. They can be super random. Maybe it's doing a bit of new learning or like this summer, I want to get my boating license. Um, so for me, new learning or yeah. like reigniting the spark in a physical sense really does it for me. But for other people, it might be like, oh, I, I need to call a friend and have like a heart to heart or whatever that ingredient is for you. So now I'm not, I don't have fear of fear. I just have um, acceptance of those sensitivities and the knowledge that if it worked for me once, it's going to work for me again. I know how to dig my way out of this hole. Also, you get to do cool new shit. Like I <laughs> only recently, my partner and I were like, we need, we need like a hobby. Like we need to do something that's like not work focused or hanging out with friends. And so we signed up for a ceramics course. And I was going to say for me, it was the pottery wheel. Oh. That was the last thing I did. Yeah. I oh, am, so ceramics. Good for you. I am not an artist. My partner is an artist. So he was obviously a pro right from the get-go. I am type A, not like very good at that stuff. And I was very nervous and it was so incredibly therapeutic and also really rewarding to like go into a new space as an adult at 34 and be like, I'm going to try something new. And you forget how wonderfully exciting it is to like say yes to new opportunities and new skills with no expectation. Like mm -hmm. there's no end goal other than just putting yourself out there so I think whether you use that as a tool in your toolbox for your mental health or just in general guys like I highly recommend signing up to something improv a cooking class a Beyonce dance class getting your boating license like I think as adults yeah. we forget to like say yes to random and new and exciting things. Whereas like kids, you're constantly signing them up to stuff to see what they might be interested in. But as mm -hmm. adults, it's like, no, we go to work and we go to the gym and sometimes we see friends and then we repeat every single week of our lives. It's like, oh yes. gosh, let's okay. up. Well, to add to that, um, I have discovered that one, 
when I feel like I can't be happy for other people's success, like if I'm looking through social media and feeling jealous or feeling um, less than, I go, oh, I see what's happening. It's not that they have so much, it's that I'm not excited about what I have. Like there's, nobody should have less to make me feel like I have more. The answer, anytime I have had that type of, of lesser feeling, I know that I just have to have something that I'm excited in my life. And sometimes that's like a big long-term goal. And sometimes it's just, I love cooking. I look for, I look forward to food every day. I like <laughs> literally, but I'm eating my last bite of breakfast and I'm already excited about like knowing what I'm planning for lunch. So figuring out the things that you're excited about. And the analogy I make is racehorses wear these little pads on the side of their eyes. And I didn't know why. And I looked, I Googled it one day. And it said, one of the reasons is the horse runs faster if it's only looking where it's going. So even horses get insecure seeing that horsey number two is going faster than it. And so we, we're the same way. We slow down if we stop to look around at what other people are doing. And the feeling comes so quickly. And the, the best way out of it is to just figure out, well, who cares about those people? What do you want? Like, What's something that makes you feel excited and you feel alive? Yes. And sometimes they can be simple. Like, don't get me wrong. I love traveling. Going on a big adventure in Japan will bring me so much joy. But it's also important to have those, like, simple joys as well that we can invite every single day into our lives. Like, I love that you love food. Food is one of my favorite love languages. (laughs) Pajamas at the end of the day is like one of my favorite things to do like before I get into bed and like making sure that we have those big joys in life but we also have like the little simple ones that we can revert to on those days okay. that are like a little tricky well then let me share this here's the simplest joy of all so this bracelet has it's just little secondhand beads that my kid got and it has the words fun and kindness on it and so one of the ways that we can increase our fulfillment in life and our sense of meaning and purpose is to figure out what values do we stand for deep down again they're different for everybody we can't change life circumstances all the time and a lot of people are too busy or frazzled or burnt out to change life circumstances but you don't have to it's sometimes you can just stop and decide to approach things in a way that reflect your values and so for me it's fun and kindness so like when I go to soccer I'm like I am bringing fun and kindness to this game or if I feel stage fright before going on to do a keynote I'm like get out of my head I'm just here to put fun and kindness in the world universe friggin channel fun and kindness through me because that's what I want I want to do a good thing with my life with my time and so my when you put your values into things your life won't necessarily look different but you just feel more fulfilled and sort of like the universe is on your side and other people see a spark in you um when you're living your values i think and also it sounds like those are also really solid anchor points to kind of keep you grounded and keep you focused when you know like you said stage fright which can be all consuming sometimes when those nerves kick in i've yeah. felt them before as well and when you can hold on to those anchors you're like okay well if all else fails i'm going to make sure to bring fun and kindness into 
this space and it it is almost yeah. like a north star and i think that's so cool okay i'm going to i'm going to do a little homework on my end and try to think what those two awesome keywords are for me because it's so great to be able to have yeah some boundaries to play and actually speaking of boundaries when you were talking about how you were in the throes of depression for those two years and looking back realized you lost some friendships and some career opportunities mm. and then you got to start over it kind of sounded like i pictured an etch a sketch you remember like Oh yeah, where you get to shake it. Yeah, all the the Gen Z years are like, what the fuck is she talking about? (laughs) Anyways, it was an analog kind of game, guys. But I love the Etch-A-Sketch because you have this Etch-A-Sketch. It's the same Etch-A-Sketch, but you get to decide like when you get to recreate the design. Mm -hmm. And it sounds a little bit like when you got through those two intense years of depression, you got to shake that Etch-A-Sketch and start over with somewhat of a blank canvas and build new friendships and relationships that are fulfilling, take on career opportunities that align with where you want to go. But I also imagine that when you were recreating that canvas, boundaries were very important. Like, are boundaries something that you're very mindful of now that you've been through this challenging time? Boundaries, I would say, are the number one asset that that I have in my mental health. And there's it's twofold. So there's boundaries of like the you know, the one we always think of is I'm not going to let mean people into my life or into my emotional space. So absolutely, that is something that you can do. You can still be polite to people. You can still answer them when they say hi, but you can say that's where the buck stops. Like I don't give any further opening to you. So that boundary has helped me, but also the boundary of not not talking to myself in a certain way, like a boundary of like, okay, only kind things to myself, only going to say kind things to myself. And the boundary of deciding that you're just going to be honest and we're allowed to be honest about what our needs are. So for example, a friend of mine was having a party, a big birthday party. I didn't know any of her friends and I was feeling a little bit of social anxiety. And so rather than feel like, oh, but you have to show up and you have to mingle and you have to, I called her beforehand and said, I think I have one social hour in me. So I'm gonna come and I'm gonna celebrate you. And then I'm gonna sneak out quietly and not say goodbye because I don't want a hundred people saying, why are you leaving? (laughs) And I am clear like that with almost everything in my life now. And the result of that, because it's been for a couple of years that I just say point blank what I need without making an excuse, because we're allowed to say what we need. And, and uh, we, we don't have to make excuses to make other people feel comfy or anything like that. So the result of it is, I feel deeper in my relationships, because people know, I'm always giving you the truth, you know, me better, you may not love (laughs) what my reasons are, or understand what my reasons are. But you get the truth from me. And you always know, clearly what I can give and what I can't. And um, I like that because I, a big part of depression, or any mental illness is feeling like you have to hide, you have to hide the part of yourself that isn't quite socially acceptable, you have to hide your weird reasons for not being able to do things. And I don't want to live like that. I don't want any shame in my life. I don't want anybody to feel any shame in their, their life. We're, we're all enough exactly as we are. And so now I talk as though I'm enough exactly as I am, as though there's nothing weird with me saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I can't do those two things in one day because 
my people hours are, <laughs> I don't have that many people hours or, um, you know what, I'll probably pay for it the next day if I over commit on this. So I'm just going to scale back. And I like it. Like it takes so much less energy to just be real. Ooh, that is powerful. Like, I think whether you struggle with mental health or not, this is powerful and we could all learn from what you're saying. So I am known in my friend circle as being the 60 minute gal when it comes to <laughs> gatherings. And um, when my, I struggle with really bad anxiety at times. And when it's bad, I still try to go out and follow through on things, but I'll put a timer on my phone for 60 minutes. And if mm -hmm. I can hit the 60 minute mark, I feel really proud of myself and I leave. And it's just like common. I love that you actually do now. a timer. I yes. love that you do a timer. I'm going to borrow that. Because that's it keeps great. me accountable because sometimes I feel bad for leaving before everybody else. But that yeah. I, I, that's just how I'm built. I am known. And now thankfully people don't judge me for it because it's just like a thing they know about me. Like Chloe will never stay out late. Will <laughs> pop by. But when I'm there, I give it my all. And when I'm there, I have a great time. But once I hit that one hour, especially when I'm not feeling so great, I leave and I don't feel bad about it anymore. Uh, but I did for a long time. And it, it took it took time to, to be able to take up space in my own skin and to be able to vocalize it, but also what a weight off my shoulders when I was able to verbalize what I was able to give. And also then expectations were set with the people in my life. Um, so I oh, love that's that. Beautiful. Like that because I thought I was the only like oddball that said, you know, had 60 minute limits on people hangs, but that's really, that's yeah. really how I'm built. I love that. I love that. And I think it's so cool that, you know, that pre-motherhood like mm -hmm. I think it's going to really help you because part of the challenge for me when I had a baby was like you're all expected to go to the park and stand around and make small talk and I was like I that Ugh. like physically that makes me want to be sick like I would rather take my kid for a 12-hour hike through the woods than physically stand still at a park asking someone where they got their purse like that's we all have our comfort zones <laughs> and small talk at a park isn't mine and and that's what i mean about like i felt like i had to try and fit in i felt like i had to like i couldn't tell people i don't like this this isn't for me but instead would you like to come sit in my backyard and we'll paint some pottery or something like, you know, I, those, those types of things. So I love that for you. I think, I think you're going to have a very nice experience because <laughs> you've already crossed that hurdle of not feeling like you have to fit in. I'm going to try my best to remember all of this when the little baby comes, because I'm not going to lie. The social park hangs with strangers is terrifying to me and makes my body want to break out in full hives. Mm -hmm. So I think the timer will definitely be needed then. And I love even just like come back and paint some pottery. Like I'm an activity focused. <laughs> Give me an activity and I can cope. Uh, but if we're just like hanging around, I'm like, what do I say? What do I do with my hands? Ah, and it just the anxiety oh, takes over. Well, here's where I think, let me just tell you so i used to my partner and i used to have a plan for because when when you go with your kids for a play date at someone else's house you decide when you leave but when yes. you invite someone to your house for a play date you don't like there's some people who come for an hour and there's some people literally who gen i i'm serious they thought that they were invited for the day oh. like for the lunch and the dinner and the like that you'd come at nine and maybe leave at nine at night and so we started coming up with like fake appointments that we would have to leave because we yeah. knew two hours was our maximum to have yeah. someone else's baby all over <laughs> us and our, 
And uh, so we came up. So now at this age, I don't make up fake stories anymore. I don't make up fake appointments. I will literally say to someone, um, do you want to come over for two hours? Yeah. Because I I just want to be clear. I want to be clear. And I don't want to have anxiety the whole time that they're there of like, when are you leaving? <laughs> you know what, genius. I'm going to try my best to be direct. If not, I will have maybe a little white lie and we will work our way towards being direct. Yeah. Um, that's good advice for everyone though. I think boundaries are so incredibly important and they're all about self-worth. Like, you know yourself and you'll be able to show up so much better for everyone in your life, whether it's a play date, mm -hmm. business meeting, a real date, something with your friends or your family, even like knowing those boundaries, knowing your limits will make mm -hmm. the experience so much better for everyone, but also for you. So hopefully you're not on the couch for three days after recuperating from like the social energy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you do so many things. It's pretty incredible. I also want to celebrate the fact that you're an author. I think putting out a book has got to be one of the most challenging feats ever, especially a book based on your life and your experience with depression and comedy. I mean, you are literally putting your soul into pen and paper and handing it out to the world and being like, here world, take it. Please be kind. I'm well, it's funny. I think you have a book in you. And I will just say this, what's this surprised me uh, about my own author journey the writing of it was wonderful. Like you're truly just like, here's my heart, here's my experiences, here's what I learned. That part was joy, joy, joy for six months. For me, the anxiety hit when I physically had to type, it's ready to go. Like I just couldn't, so that I think I drove my editor bonkers because I just kept saying, well, maybe we should water this part down. Well, maybe we should, like I was scared to physically hand it off and be out there forever. And I started doubting myself thinking, well, do I stand by this 100% forever? Like, that's a long time. That's a long time to have a book out there. And uh, it, eventually the editor was like, Jess, you know, when you get on stage and you just say, I'm going to say what's in my heart and we'll see how it falls and we'll see how it lands. And that's what I had to do with the book. It's oh. just be like, I'm putting it out. We'll see how it lands. And I've, I've reread it now and the the book has only been out for a couple of years but i've reread it now and been like oh i wish i had changed that thing but write another book if that's how you feel <laughs> Jeez, would you would you write another book are you up for the task i so my because my first book was about, had postpartum depression my last book was about depression i'm not ready to write another book but i'm gathering ideas and inspiration because i want my next book to just be like yes Yes. Like though I, I wrote two books about bad things I went through and now I want to write about just charging ahead to the good stuff, right? We've been through the hard stuff. We went through a friggin' pandemic. We survived. We are here. This is our do-over. We all friggin' got a do-over with life, with new perspective and new strength that we didn't even know we had from having gone through something so hard and survived it and still been here. If you are still here, you are listening to this podcast, you did it. You got through it. And so I'm excited to move forward. And that's what my keynotes are more about these days are let me validate your mental health. Let's talk about how to be healthy. And then let's just friggin' pick what our finish line is and go for it. What's your current finish line? My finish line is putting fun and kindness into the world. That's it. And, and the beautiful thing about it is there's no best before date on that. There's no rush. I, I used to feel like 
I have to accomplish things before I get old and people think I'm useless and, and no one hires me again. And now I, I look at the world and I look at who's making a difference and at what age. And I kind of go, none of it matters. Like we all have something to share and life keeps teaching us. And so I don't feel like I have a due date anymore. I just feel like <gasps> every day I wake up and I say to the universe, how can I put fun and kindness in the world? Let me know. I'm going to go make breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> you even bring fun and kindness into your breakfast. Um, you are such a delight. Like, thank you for helping change the conversation around mental health, reducing the stigma. Like there doesn't need to be a stigma, friends. If you're struggling, you are not alone. It doesn't need to be dark all the time. There can be little moments of humor and kindness and, and fun even with it. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for being you. I love that your cat made an appearance. This has been absolutely <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Chloe. You're a bright light and I love that you're doing this podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, that was fun. And just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. Once again, I am your host with clearly no filter, Chloe Wilde. And if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out because that sucks. Feel free to rate and leave us a comment. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And my friends, remember, healthy is fucking beautiful. I'll see you next week.